Mr. Mark Selby, how are we, sir? I am very, very good. Glad to hear it. Raining here, sunny there. Um, yes, thing, the world makes sense, oh, at least make, in one dimension. <laughs> maybe not quite at share prices, although I do see some green shoots appearing in sort of battery metal stocks are up a few up a few percentage points. So maybe there's um, blue skies on the horizon uh, for everyone. Um, let's get, let's kick off and try and understand what's happening in the world of nickel at the moment. Let's start with maybe price, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, no, another sideways week uh, in the world of nickel prices, basically either side of $21,000 a ton. Uh, LME inventories remain low. So, you know, there's been a few bearish bumps from from here and here and there come out, but um, the bears don't seem to have much courage without a lot of inventory uh, sitting there to, uh, and again, despite talk of large surpluses, you know, very little of this inventory, uh, you know, seems to be showing up in on the LME. Uh, and again, in China, we the, the surge we saw in June on, on uh, in the battery sector is kind of eased off a little bit. It didn't follow through in July, August, um, but surprisingly, NPI prices picked up a little bit, which uh, again, all through this year, I've been saying, you know, look, we need to break uh, $20,000 a ton here at some point. Um, and and yet well, we still haven't done it. And again, I would not have expected to really see NPI prices start to move higher at all um, un until a sulfate tightened up and, you know, um, LME prices, you know, start to move higher from here. So, no, it's good. It's good to see. And again, I, I mean, to me, that makes me skeptical that there must be that there's lots of inventory around if for somehow the price of that inventory uh, is moving higher. Just, just you know, again, just a, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Well, okay, let's talk about that because I think last week you kind of, we, we, well, we talked a little bit around sort of nickel refining capacity. Um, LME just made announcement or at least approved some nickel produced out of um, China with the kind of new fast track registration system for Zhang Haiyu, I'm going to go with. Let's let's say that's about right. Um, what can you what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, yeah, there's not a, a pile of news this week, but you know this was a key piece of news. Obviously, you know about 15 months ago the LME broke. Um, you know one of the key pieces in terms of getting the LME back to a more functioning market was they were going to be a lot more aggressive about approving new brands that used to have a quite a long period of time before you could deliver physical metal against a contract. And again, that's the whole part with the LME is that it in any contract, if you show up with a piece of paper, there used to be pieces of paper to an LME warehouse somewhere in the world, you know, they would be responsible for getting, you know, getting you um, six tons uh, of nickel uh, at that point in time. So uh, having physical metal to be able to actually settle trades is, is, is key here. So, um, you know, and, and this also is a, another key part of something I've been talking about all year long in terms of this great convergence uh, that because uh, a lot of material was not LME deliverable, that the discounts for NPI and MAT became the market clearing mechanism as opposed to the LME price, the commodity price, which is typically uh, what happens. And so one of the key pieces of that was you're going to start to see refining capacity come online that will, will allow uh, consumers to actually have more options to refine nickel and then deliver that nickel onto the LME. So uh, Zhejiang Waoyu um, basically uh, uh, has has got their refinery up and going. Uh, they were able to get, uh, they're the first of the new refineries. There's a couple others uh, in the pipeline um, that were able to get it as a registered deliverable brand. So again, very intrigued to see whether, quote, how much of this surplus that we've experienced in the last four to five months, you know, makes its way onto the LME. Because if it's really there, you know, then, you know, this is this is the path, you know, that should make that just about as 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 
as uh, visible as possible. So, you know, in terms of scale, I mean, again, this is not massive. We're not talking about 10 or 20% of global capacity, but, you know, it, there should be about 200,000 tons of capacity come online by the end of next year. Um, and again, given Chinese, China, it usually comes on a little bit faster uh, in terms of processing capacity. And we should see, see about 100,000 tons of nickel or about 3% uh, of the global market, uh, you know, actually be produced by these new refineries. And again, that that's significant in the sense that, you know, the kind of surplus that people are talking about are in the range of 100 to 200,000 tons this year. So theoretically, that should allow all of that inventory to make its way, you know, to the LME if it's if it's sitting out there. So um you know, and, and again, the, the 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 big thing is at the end of this great convergence, you know, we'll get to the point where discounts get back to normal levels. LME prices, you know, we probably will be lower than they otherwise would be. But again, they'll be back to a market that makes sense and allow pricing of all the intermediates in the business to be a lot more effective. Right. Okay. So market that makes sense is is, is, is critical here because you can you can work out where you're going with, with that. Um, and there's been such a lot of irregular um, pricing in the market of, of recent time. Let, let's just talk about China a little bit. So obviously, well, are you too concerned about some of the numbers that have been coming out of China for the last two, two, two three weeks in terms of maybe a slowdown in their economy and maybe this kind of knock-on effect here or just the supply-demand fundamentals of nickel, copper and, and the rest of the, the, the EV metals um, really negate all of that. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, a slowdown uh, in China it does have an impact because, you know, for for nickel, it has, you know, batteries, obviously a big source of new demand, but, but you know, the bulk of demand comes from, you know, would say more traditional uses going forward. Um, you know, that being said, I, I think there's, there's a few offsetting factors that, you know, is allowing me not, not to lose any sleep um, over that slowdown. Uh, you know, number one, uh, with Indonesia industrializing now with, with again, driven by the whole nickel stainless industry, you know, you've got a whole, you know, you know, close to a billion people in Southeast Asia that are, you know, on that, on that development track as, as well. India seems to be, you know, again, starting down that track. Um, and so those are two big sources of uh, new sources of stainless steel demand that I think people discount in terms of its impact on, on global markets. The other, the other piece is, um, there's there's been two massive headwinds for for nickel use. Um, there's a chunky sector of nickel demand that that it makes alloys for the oil and gas industry and alloys for the aerospace industry. And you know, coming into COVID and through COVID, obviously aerospace you know was not a big winner. Um, and then as well on the oil and gas sector, initially until the war in Russia came along, you know, oil and gas was 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 in the doldrums. And so now both of those industries, I've seen some revitalization. So those are big new uses, not new uses, um, in, you know, sources, big new sources of demand that should help offset any weakness um, that we see in China. And then obviously the EV story, you know, China is not the market for nickel batteries for uh, because they don't drive massive cars and they don't drive long distances. It's really about EV demand now in North America and in luxury vehicles in the Western world. And so, you know, that continues, I think, at a pretty pretty healthy clip. And so, again, um, the you know, from my view, the you know, the long term nickel demand, the current demand uh, picture, you know, should improve as we go go through the rest of the year. Right, and again, as we've talked about on multiple occasions over the past few weeks and months, um, M&A activity continues to kind of, um, well, it's not taking a rest anytime soon. You know, people are trying, companies are trying to find the next big thing. Um, num numbers as, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, as, you're, as you've been projecting all, all of this year, looking like they do, do you still expect to see 
more M&A destructing, more money flowing into the nickel market. And you know, where, where's that coming from? Where, where's the money actually going to come from for this? Because it, it feels like, you know, we've reached saturation point in terms of the the, the mid caps and, and and majors in terms of their their appetite. Is there going to be new money coming into the space? Oh, for sure. I think you know the the key here is the majors are still you know in terms of when you look at their core businesses of iron ore and coal, um, you know they're generating massive amount of free cash flow. You know they've all indicated a desire to reposition reposition themselves. You know into the battery sector. Um, you know we've seen a bunch of deals from BHP and Wailu, um, but in reality, as as much as we've seen a lot of deals, you know they're barely scratching. You know they're barely scratching the surface in terms of moving the needle for their entire company in terms of the amount of, of resources they've got to date. So, um, you know, there's, there's a long room for a lot more M and a to come, come from the, the major and mid tier mining companies as we move through the battery cycle. And again, if, if we do not see any improvement in equity values before the end of this year, I think, you know, once it looks like interest rates have topped out, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're probably going to be on a, on a weakening cycle for interest rates um, as inflation comes off, you know, I, I think that'll give the, the majors the courage to step in and do even more transactions uh, by year end. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish <laughs> by year end and into next year. Right. Okay. And, and so, and, and talking, talking of that, um, you know, obviously one of the companies which has been out there, I think we've been big fans from day one, is what Poseidon Nickel has been doing over in Australia. Um, they've got a little bit of news um, out in the market at the moment. What can you tell us? Yeah, pretty surprising, actually. So they were on track for restarting uh, their silver. They have two deposit. Well, they have two sets of deposits. They have the Black Swan, Silver Swan complex, and they have the Emily Ann, Maggie Hayes complex, both of which are past producing mines uh, in Australia. Uh they, we talked last week about some expiration results from Emily Ann and Maggie Hayes, um, which which were intriguing. Um, the unfortunate part is uh, they basically reset uh, their timelines for uh, when they're going to restart uh, Silver Swan, uh, restart Black Swan, um, and and Silver Swan at the same time. So uh, Silver Swan is a super high grade, it's one of the highest grade mines that's ever operated in the nickel industry. Black Swan was a larger scale disseminated ore body. Um, that sat next to it. There's a brand new mill that only ran about 18 months, two years back in the late uh, 2000s. And unfortunately, got squeezed uh, in the nickel market. Um, but uh, you know, I think re- you know the the announcements. You know, they basically talked about uh, that one. They're not going to get grid power until the end of 2024. Um, you know, obviously that's usually a lot cheaper than running your own diesel generators. Uh, disappointingly, they said they're going to have to do additional med- metallurgical test work to confirm the recovery assumptions uh, for what uh, they're, they're planning to process as part of the mine plan, um, you know, and more broadly, you know, delaying things uh, because of project, these project factors and market factors. You know, th- the other thing they highlighted in the quote from the CEO was, you know, tightness in the Western Australia labor market and, you know, the inability to actually house fly-in, fly-out workers, uh, you know, in the Kalgoorlie region. Uh you know, we've talked a lot about different factors. Uh, again, so many investors focus on grade. You know, none of what's happened here has anything to do with grade. You know, these are all the other factors that are as as important that investors never spend enough time on. And so let me just sort of walk through some of the key bits here. You know, one, in terms of availability of infrastructure, uh, again, building a mine, 
when you've got the roads, the highways, the power line and power that can come in on those power lines, you know, is, is a massive, massive advantage. Uh, yeah, they basically said, uh, you know, and, and they're not in a particularly remote location with Black Swan, Silver Swan, but they're not going to be able to access that grid power until the end of 2024. So nearly 18 months from now, right? Again, if you have long lead items like that, that's the kind of stuff that maybe you should have started a little bit earlier on. But again, it's always tough when you're trying to restart an operation. The other big thing, you know, one of the big pluses that we have at Crawford, you know, we're sitting just outside Timmins. We've got three decent sized towns that are all less than an hour's drive. People can, you know, there's not enough houses right now, but we can, you know, people will build those houses and they will live there, um, you know, when the time comes. And so uh, West Aust- the thing about West Australia that I don't think people recognize, it is one massive fly-in, fly-out operation. If you go to the Perth airport early in the morning, you will see almost two-thirds of the people in the airport in high-vis suits flying off to mines, you know, all through, uh, all through Western Australia. And so the problem with that is if you got to show up to an airport and get on a plane, whether that plane travels an hour and a half or two and a half hours, you know, really doesn't matter. And so, you know, what that does is create, there's, you know, this, that labor will change, you know, in a heartbeat. And so you have to pay up, you have to, you know, treat them properly once they get to camp, you know, and again, you know, they're all competing for the, the, you know, the, the perks at each camp. And so it just makes it very, very expensive and not particularly productive all the time, you know, if you're trying to compete for that marginal fly-in, uh, fly-out worker. So again, in places where you can have a domestic workforce that drives home every night, it's a massive, massive advantage. So that's number two. Uh, number three, we've talked about in, in the nickel, nickel grades. Again, you know, people point to, oh, it's, you know, Crawford and some of our other targets are low grade. Yes, it's a low mining grade, but in the nickel space, the ability to make a high grade concentrate is extremely, extremely valuable. A lot of high grade nickel mines start at three or 4% and struggle to get to a 12 to 15% nickel concentrate grade. You know, in our case, we're able to produce a 30% plus nickel concentrate just to the nature of the minerals. Unfortunately, because of the nature of the minerals in these deposits, um, and they highlighted the fact that you know more than half of their ore is, is basically is contained within this talc carbonate ore, and talc floats along with the nickel minerals that you're trying to recover. At best, they're able to, from a big chunk of their feed, only produce a five to six percent nickel concentrate. You know, the ability to ship that any distance makes it pretty expensive. You know, the ability to process it because you've got ninety five percent you know, of, of, of waste material that you're trying to get rid of, you know, makes it a pretty expensive proposition. So again, with possibly Crawford, we can get to 30% plus, you know, it's a big, big uh, opportunity. And, and the last piece, you know, one of the things I've been, you know, proudest of is, you know, we, we've gone from the fifth drill hole uh, to a feasibility study coming in September in four years. You know, that's, you know, that, uh, I think is probably less than half the time that you would see most companies get through that process. You know, all the way along, we've been parallel processing in terms of defining the resource, defining the mine, doing the mineralogy work, doing the metallurgy work so that, you know, we, when we get to the end, we're not going to expect any, any real surprises. So it's a little disappointing that they really didn't identify, you know, the mineral, because again, the kind of challenges they're talking about are well known with these kinds of deposits. And you would think, that you would have done extra work early to make sure that you weren't going to run into those kinds of problems before you put the feasibility study out. 
So the good thing is, is they didn't, <laughs> they didn't charge down the path and, and sort of find out about it or think, oh, geez, maybe we can fix this by the time we get the mine going. Cause that does sometimes happen, sadly, um, in this industry. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're having to take a step back and they haven't even committed to when they're going to actually go ahead with the project now. So that that's pretty disappointing. And not surprisingly, the stock sold off pretty hard um, off the back of that news um, last week. Okay, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, we, we've, we've talked about, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the cliche, I think it's a cliche for, for every single argument you want to make in mining, but, you know, uh, grade is king, right? So grade, grade is definitely very, very useful. High grade is very, very useful. But as you've, I think you've just articulated quite nicely, there's a whole bunch of other variables which also matter because it's about it's about operational margin that um, that, that these different determine whether these things are work or won't work. And I guess the the thing to do is trying to identify those economics well before you start allocating uh, the capex or the opex to to these projects so you know sort of look, looking around at the moment obviously there's a there's a few companies are perhaps experiencing um the, those sorts of learnings um much to the i guess chagrin of the uh investing community at the moment oh there was yeah and said this morning another great example so south 32 um you know one of the the larger of the mid-tiers or smallest of the bigger i guess the largest of the mid-tiers um uh, again, they splashed out for the Hermosa buying Arizona uh, mining back uh, about five years ago um, with a you know one of the best uh, high grade lead zinc silver deposits uh, that had had been had come along in, in quite a period of time, uh, and they had bought it for 1.3 billion, and they announced a 1.3 billion dollar write off today. But given some of the other work that they've done, it still still has a carrying value of a billion, so it wasn't a total write down. Uh, but again, one of the key things they're pointing to is they have to spend an additional 350 million US in being able to dewater and treat the water that comes from the dewatering uh, in order to be able to mine that 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 deposit. Uh, again, it's kind of weird that you think uh, you have to worry about dewatering the deposit in the desert. But uh, again, I was with Quadra Mining a few years ago, and I know our Robinson deposit in in uh, in. Uh, Nevada in a desert uh, uh, also had some significant dewatering issues that we we had to manage uh, whenever we looked at expanding that plant. So again, they should not have been surprised that that could have been an issue. And, and those are the kind of things you'd like to flag. You think you flag as best you can in a due diligence process. Uh, but again, it just underscores the fact that, you know, grade is just one more variable. It really is. And I think we've We've talked about that long and hard in, in the past, and I'm sure we'll have to in the future because no matter how many times we've said it, people don't kind of get it. But um, those are two quite a good, good examples where perhaps um, I could prove, prove the case somewhat. Um, Mark, okay, so I think that is it for, for this week. And I sort of quiet week. I think people are sort of maybe nestling into their summer holidays now and uh, looking forward to September. Uh, when the conferences start anew, um, people start, seem to be a lot of roadshows organized, um, and we'll, we'll sort of see if how the market reacts. How are you feeling about the, the Fed, any future um, interest rate rises, et cetera? No, I, I think, you know, I, I think the, the inflation data is finally starting to cool off. Uh, again, they will want to make sure, given that how much of, you know, this was the first time that uh, we saw a pickup inflation 
really translated into increased uh, labor costs. Um, and that's fundamentally, you know, that's how inflation cycles get entrenched. And so, uh, again, I think they'll err on the on the pushing it a little little further uh, than they otherwise would to kind of beat out <laughs> uh, those infl- inflation expectations that have crept in uh, to people's people's minds. But you know, I think we're pretty close to the top now, um, and you know, we should start to see things loosen off in the next while, as long as we don't see anything crazy. Um, coming out of Russia in terms of energy supply or out of OPEC, but uh, but fingers crossed. You know, I think the worst of it is here behind us in terms of interest rate rises, and and again, I think that sets the stage for uh, a better market towards the end of this year, as as you know, people get comfortable that okay, you know, the worst of the of recession uh, fears have gone, and and now I can start to think about getting positioning myself long again uh, in the market. So 